This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Goldcamp, along with my co-hosts, Brett Diogardi and Blake Alderman. Guys, uh, you know, Florida obviously in a tough spot this season. Really have been trying to find ways to kind of staunch the bleeding, so to speak, uh, ever since really that Kentucky game. And the Gators just, for whatever reason, haven't been able to turn things around. I think a lot of people felt like last week against Sanford, maybe even the week before against South Carolina, started to show maybe a sign that, you know, guys were checking out mentally. Brett, I know at one point you mentioned on this show the concern was going to be a lot of guys are thinking about their future, thinking about the NFL. Um, that's always a concern, and, and keeping guys mentally locked in was going to be a challenge. In my mind, Florida hasn't really been able to figure that out. I'm not quite sure why, but I think yesterday's game against uh, against Missouri is kind of confusing because it's like the total opposite of what happened mm-hmm. against Sanford. I guess, Brett, were you surprised by that? Because you know, the defense gets panned all last week for, for not showing up, and then they come out and play a pretty good game, and it's like, you know, this time it's the offense and special teams letting them down. Yeah, to be honest, I was a little surprised because it was a strong start defensively, especially in the trenches. Like, they were shutting down Tyler Beatty early on in the game, and it looked way more reminiscent of, like, that Alabama game and those early games on where we were dominating in the trenches. And then as the game went on, it seemed like some more wear and tear that, you know, Mizzou's offensive line was able to control the line of scrimmage, especially, you know, in the second half that kind of helped them to, I mean, they never really separated themselves because Florida's defense kept them in the game the whole time. But I feel like that quarterback for Missouri really didn't have it, you know, in him to win the game on his own. So if they were able to continue and, and shut down Beatty in that run game, they would have won the game, you know, pretty easily versus, you know, Mizzou's offense, the line of scrimmage got dominated by then Beatty, you know, has like, I don't know, three or four runs of like 25 plus yards or something around the lines of that. And then completely changes the game, gives them way more momentum. The fans get into it on senior night. And ultimately, I mean, I, I was I was surprised with how they came out, though. It didn't look like they, you know, Mullen and staff has, has lost them with how they came out. Other like compared to versus Sanford, they came out just sluggish defense look to not really know what they're doing. Maybe that's because Robinson got, you know, another full week with that defense, try to like work on some scheme stuff. But in general, I was surprised how they came out defensively to start the game. Blake, to me, it seems like uh, this Florida team in particular, and and I've seen this happen with teams in the past 2013, it kind of happened a little bit, not to maybe the same degree. Um, 2017, I think it happened. But when you have a, a team in a situation where it's, it's backs kind of against the wall, it, the pressure outside is obvious. I mean, everybody's talking about Dan Mullen, where the program's at in year four. To me, it seems like players kind of take on, it at, you know, individually at least here and there, 
this mentality of, well, we're doing everything we can. And I think that's kind of what you saw on defense. We're doing everything we can. And then it's like the offense just can't get anything going. Same thing happened kind of the other way against Sanford a little bit. And unless one unit kind of steps up and just takes over, like completely takes over, then eventually it just feels like you're waiting for the other team to to kind of land that that punch. And it felt like Missouri, you know, to Brett's point, Missouri just hung around long enough because Florida couldn't get anything going on offense. And all of a sudden the crowd gets back into it. And sure enough, the momentum goes against Florida. How much of that do you think, Blake, is just guys are kind of at the point where they're 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 either expecting bad things to happen or, you know, they're just checked out? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I think some of those guys, you know, that maybe have NFL aspirations or, you know, they're starting to think about, you know, their future. I think those things, I think that they just probably have a lot on their mind. You know, they're obviously on social media. They're reading all the talks about, you know, will Dan Mullen be here? Will he not be there? Is he not the guy? You know, I, all those things I think are probably a culmination of, you know, we're going out there, we're trying to make plays. Um, and yes, do I need to start thinking about my future? Am I going to take some plays off? Cause that's what I thought about for the Sanford game. You look on defense, you know, you saw him come out and have a better, a better second half than the first half, but there was just so many plays where you see a guy that maybe was running across the field to make a play and he kind of pulls up those types of things are where you start to see some of those guys start to check out. But, you know, I think they played a lot better, a lot more energized on defense against Missouri. I think they came out well. It's just one of those things, man, where I feel like every week, you know, you're waiting to see if Florida's going to play a complete game, and they're just not. You know, special teams has been, um, you know, kind of their Achilles heel all year. Um, and this year the offense just couldn't make enough plays to pull ahead. What do you guys make of the fact that it seems like it's something different every week? You know, man, I don't know if it's just something that's just undisciplined. Um, you know, you look at a lot of the penalties that add up there. Those are undisciplined things. Um, you know, for me, it's just, you know, it, it's kind of to your point where you're waiting for that one side of the ball to kind of take over and do it. You know, no one wants to take the initiative to come out and dominate and, you know, get whatever they need to do through. And I feel like that that's a lack of discipline. Yeah. And then also it just seems like not a sense of like wholeness within the team. If you got to have the offense, depending on the defense. And that's kind of like how it's been, you know, to be honest, the past, however many years of Florida, when it was must champ, you know, the defense your offense always relied on the defense because you knew you had a dominant defense. Then my last year playing there, obviously we couldn't get a stop defensively. So it's like the defense was relying on the offense constantly. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's just been an issue within Florida. Special teams has always been pretty solid, especially as of like the past few years. But in general, it's like, why do we always have to have the offense putting up 35 points? Cause our defense can't get a stop versus in the time before I got there, our defense with Muschamp was pretty pretty dominant but our offense could never get points on the board and I agree with Blake too one of the notes I wrote down was the penalties they're killer I mean nine penalties for 80 yards speaks for itself but on top of that like you know I love Mahmoud the guy's aggressive and I'm not I'm not saying anything against him because he's a great player but that offsides in the neutral zone infraction right before half is just something that kind of kills momentum and then Trey Dean with that pass interference late I could be wrong, but these are just the type of issues throughout my time at Florida where we make those kind of like boneheaded plays that I just I could be wrong, but I just don't see someone at Alabama making that type of play in a crucial part of a game or, you know, an Ohio State or something. And I just feel like those little penalties seem like, you know, small, but they turn into, you know, a couple of games that are lost instead of being won. And that's the difference. It's so small between, you know, an 11 and one year, obviously not this season in general, but I'm saying like those little penalties end up paying, you know, dividends and and how the season ends up being, you know, 10 and two versus being, you know, eight and four or something like that. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, I do think there's, there's something to be said for the fact that Florida probably isn't as bad as it 
has looked this year. I think some of that is a is a product of recruiting. I think when you you know are recruiting at the level Florida has been, which is roughly fifth, sixth in the SEC. Obviously not there with this class anymore. But when you're recruiting at that level, you're in more of those games where one mistake can can kind of be costly like that. And I think that's part of the bigger issue. I think losing Kyle Trask obviously was was a big deal. I think Kyle Trask covered up a lot of things. I mean, and even he couldn't fully cover up the defense, you know, to your point. So I think I think there just needs to be, I don't know, a, a better, more locked in approach across the board. But obviously at this point, guys, we're going to end up shifting the conversation a little bit because, you know, this Missouri game was just the latest in a string of these kind of things. And and the question at this point becomes, how do you get out of that? So, um, Brett, I want to ask you, because you've had experience with multiple different staffs. You've, you've kind of gone through the turmoil of being a player, you know, when things kind of go sour in the fan base and, and nationally when, you know, the national media is talking about you and laughing about Eli Drinkwitz kind of pulling out his lightsaber and, and these yeah. kind of things. It's not it's not a good place to be in. What does that feel like as a player, and and how does this maybe compare to to 2017 when all that started to go south with Jim McElwain? Well, I mean, one thing with social media and all the national spotlight is like it's not like the players don't look at it, whether they try to or not. You know, we see that kind of stuff, and, you know, around this time is where you can lose your players, and, you know, I wouldn't be against, you know, saying that maybe some, you know, players in the locker room have kind of lost their faith in Mullen, which, you know – it's just tough. And, and like Blake said, too, you do have some of those guys that like have NFL aspirations too that start to think like, let's be honest, you're an 18 to 22 year old male, you know, trying to focus on your future and like providing for your family outside of just college football. So it's just a tough situation. And I can't say exactly what's going on in, inside, but I know like during that 2017 year, it was different because the head coach got fired and that just, you know, was like, a, I don't know, bowling ball of a, just a bunch, bunch of bad events. And then, you know, you'd have, players going at it with coaches, people lose, you know, their faith in the coaching staff and stuff. I don't think that's completely happened still with having, you know, Mullen there, but I know during my time at UF and, you know, with what's happening right now, there's got to be a couple of guys that are thinking to themselves, like during our Alabama game last year, we kind of think of, you know, why didn't we use or save that timeout when instead of going for the two point conversion, little things like that, little moments like that. Why, you know, the play calling before half, why, when you have a minute left, you know, and, and my buddy who's the kicker, Chris Howard, had his best game as a Gator. He's three for three. He's got a big leg. You know, he, I've seen him make, you know, 50-yard plus, like 55 to 60-yard type field goals. Emory had a pretty solid game. Like, you got a minute and three seconds left. The clock stops after every first down. You're telling me we don't have a two-minute script that we can try to get down 40 yards from where we were at and give him a shot to kick a game winner? I think when something like that happens, it just deflates, you know, a bunch. you got a bunch of young guys that are, you know, excited to try to win a ball game regardless of how the seasons go because when the game's going on I think players and I know during my experience they're able to channel in and like forget about that stuff because at the end of the day you're a competitor and you're competing for you know to win a game in the SEC I think that kind of really rubs the guys the wrong way when you see that you're kind of just going to be complacent down the stretch and not give your guys an opportunity to win the game especially you know during Mullen's time and when I was there we've had situations where it's you know fourth and five fourth and seven and we don't send out our field goal kicker when we could have got points on the board. And that even happened earlier on in the game where we could have tried, you know, a 40, it was like a 48 yard or something along the lines of that. Howard banged the 42 looked like a chip shot. And it's like, you got to take those points. And sometimes you got to try to put aside the, you know, offensive mastermind, like, Oh, I can convert this fourth and seven. Like 
okay, that's great. But if you can, you know, play the analytics game, if you can take the points when you can get them, and if you got a shot to try to drive down, I think, it, I mean, if I'm Emory and, and there's a minute left and we do that, it kind of, I'm like, what, you don't think I, I have the yeah. uh, skill set to get down 35 yards and give us a shot to win? I mean, I just think it's crazy because he's always been super aggressive. And then I even tweeted about it. It's like in that type of situation, now you want to get complacent, which can lose, you know, obviously the fan base. But in general, like that can rub the guys the wrong way that are out there on the field competing, thinking like, oh, we're going to go into overtime. Yeah, you know, the offense looked good. We came down and drove and scored. But I love the call by Missouri to go for two there. You know, all the all the stuff from last year's game, you got kind of head coaches budding heads and stuff. And then you got senior night at home to become bowl eligible and you're going to go for two versus, you know, with a minute and three left, just getting complacent and having three run calls. I don't know. It's definitely something something like that can can really lose some faith from players. I know that because everyone's got a competitive edge and that's kind of just shutting down the opportunity to win the game there. I think to me, what's what's odd about that is it seems very inconsistent in terms of approach from Dan Mullen. And I've always been a proponent of kind of what you're talking about is be aggressive in the right spots, right? Like the guys will feed on, Hey, if it's a fourth and one and you tell your O-line, Hey, it's on you to go get this. Like that's, that's exactly what you're talking about is that competitor switch flips on you and it it builds confidence and then confidence builds more confidence. It's just strange that, you know, Florida, this is the second game in a row where they've had plenty of time. Uh, the Kentucky game being the other one to to push the ball down the field. Uh, Kentucky, the Kentucky one was even more egregious given the the timeout situation and all that. Um, but to me, it, it, like to your point, I, I completely agree. Completely agree. It seemed like you were telling Emory, "I don't really have faith in you." Like you're calling a draw, trying to clear out the middle of the field. Granted, Naquan slips. I get it, but to me, it just it, it rings a little bit hollow in terms of the inconsistency of approach. Like there's. Guys don't necessarily know exactly when they're going to go for it, when they're going to try to kick. And then, you know, you're wondering, why is he not kicking it because of me? You know, and that and that and your kicker's question and, you know, things. Oh, yeah, for sure. That can kill a kicker's confidence. And and one last thing I just want to say, too, is I get it. Naquan slipped. But, you know, why not try to draw up something like, you know, last year's Georgia game when you got, you know, the wheel routes with the running backs or some play action pass type stuff just to get a first down, get out of bounds, give yourself at least an opportunity to think about it, because I, I get not wanting to give them a chance to go win it, but a minute and three seconds is like, I mean, you got the opportunity to go get a field goal there. I, I right. just didn't, I didn't agree with it. I'm with you. All right, guys. Well, yeah, and I think it's one of those situations to where whenever you've got the confidence in your team to play, you, you play to win. And if you play not to lose, that just kind of, it just gets everyone slumped down. And I felt like that was a lot of the, you know, kind of reminiscence of the Muschamp era. You know, there was a lot of those games where he seems like he was playing not to lose. If you go out there and you push and you try to get some points on the board, I think that confidence builds up. And that's what this team needs is they need confidence. And I think that that was something that was missing with that. I, I agree with everything you guys said in that point. All right, well, Blake, I wanted to actually get to you on recruiting kind of uh, maybe we can take a quick break and then we'll get back in the second half of the show. Talk about, you know, where Florida's at right now, recruiting, whether or not this this is kind of the end for Dan Mullen or whether or not we think there's still a chance he can pull it out. But let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? 
And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Brett Diogardi and Blake Alderman. Blake, I wanted to talk to you about recruiting because I, I brought this up really after the South Carolina game as, as one of the reasons why I thought things were probably too far gone already after that game, the way that Florida showed up in terms of effort where the fan base was, or at least my sense of where the fan base was at that point in time, you have to be able to recruit to get yourself out of this. And, you know, Florida, maybe you can win with a transcendent quarterback. Maybe Anthony Richardson turns into that guy. But for the most part, to be consistently competitive in the SEC, you and I both know that Florida's had to recruit a little bit better than they have so far. So if you're sitting at this and you're just hypothetically, you're Scott Strickland and, you know, you're trying to, Convince yourself that there's some way that you should bring Dan Mullen back. There's some way you should be a little bit more patient with him. Give him the chance to get in that new indoor practice facility, have recruits see that. How, how do you come up with a narrative that you can turn things around in recruiting? Because to me, it doesn't seem like that's going to be doable. Do you want me to find one or do you want me to? Because I don't think there is one either. Okay. But I mean, if you wanted to find the ways to do it, um, you know, get some other staff members on there. Um, I think it's always, you know, I keep saying it's a trickle down effect because the head coach, um, I, I don't think it's that he doesn't care about recruiting. I think he does. I think he knows that, you know, that you need good players. You know, I think that that's pretty common knowledge around everyone. But I think Dan is one of those guys that thinks that he can coach up, you know, a, a, maybe a developmental guy and turn him into a really good player, um, you know, kind of, you know, smartest person in the room type of thing to where, you know, well, this guy's just as good as this guy. I can coach him up and I can make him one of the, you know, the best players out there. So I think that that is all a factor in there. Um, but you know, I, I mean, is the, is the facility going to, you know, change the fact that, you know, coach doesn't seem to live and breathe and eat recruiting every day. No. I mean, is that going to, I've never had a player that says, oh man, this facility is really nice. This is why I'm coming to Florida. It's, you know, relationships with, you know, coaching staff. It's, you know, the feel of, um, you know, the kind of camaraderie around the team, you know, it's just developmental things, you know, Florida can get me and my family here and that, you know, um, you know, onto the next level with development and winning games. And that's just not something you can sell this year. So I think in general, is there a narrative? I don't think there really is one. Um, you know, I think if you bring in some of those um, assistants in there um, that are going to recruit and breathe and eat and, you know, kind of it, it kind of reminds me of Jim McElwain. You know, yes, he was struggling recruiting, you know, those years he was there. He was getting some good some players. Um, but then he hires a guy like Jawan Sider. I think that kind of flips the script oh, yeah. in general when you have one of those alpha recruiters. And that's just one guy mm-hmm. that 2019 class or whatever, or 2018 class that Florida had before they moved on from McElwain was was really good. And that was in a year where there were a lot of questions at Florida. So I think if you get one of those alpha type recruiters, can it change the, you know, the, 
you know, can it change things around and you can kind of get, you know, the recruiting build up back? I think it's possible, but you have to make the right type of hire. You need a Jawan Sider type of guy who's going to come in and just kill it on the recruiting trail. And I think if Florida gets some more of those types of guys, um, you know, I, I think that that could be something to watch in there. Um, but again, it all falls on the head coach. You know, if, I, I think Jim McElwain knew that that was an area where he needed to get better at. And he took the initiative to get a guy like Jawan Sider in there. And that's something that Dan needs to look, take a, mirror, a look in the mirror and, and really kind of look at that. And that's something that I could see if you want to flip things around. But, um, you know, will he do that? That's the question. Well, here's one thing. Here's one thing I'll say real quick. <laughs> yes, Jim McElwain did that. But he also he understood perception in the sense that he took some guys that Florida swore up and down they weren't going to take that were highly rated guys. You know, you, sure. like, you know, what I'm talking about Darius Lemons, yeah. James Robinson. Those are guys that Florida swore they weren't going to take. And they took literally on signing day to try to like bolster the rankings. And right. I actually, you know, does it change anything in the long run when those guys, you know, aren't able to play or don't end up on the team? You know, no, like, I mean, you're still in the same place. Like is a ninth, ninth rate of recruiting class, any different than the 13th, if it's based on two guys that don't end up playing? No, but he at least understood the perception. And I think that's one of the things that Dan Mullins probably struggled with when you're a head coach. That's kind of, you know, you have to give that effort in all areas, right? And I think Dan Mullen is a great X's and O's coach on offense. I do think he's very smart. I think he's inconsistent there in terms of play calling. And we talked about some of that in the first half of the show. But that's kind of his one calling card, right? And if you're asking people, what else does Dan Mullen do well right now? Maybe I'll just ask Brett, because to me, that's, that's far and away the number one thing. And when you don't have enough other things like recruiting, uh, you know, just that, that sense of always needing to be recruiting that kind of thing the ability to organize a, a staff that doesn't have issues with players here and there that doesn't have issues with each other that's where you know i think things start to fall apart but uh brett i don't know maybe you can chime in on that knowing dan mullen a little bit better than us um just being completely honest like i wish i was you know had blake's ability to immediately rattle off like a way of fixing it that i may not see just one thing I wanted to add, too, was when you mentioned Cider, he was like a, without a doubt, you know, a player's favorite in the locker room, whether not just running backs, like defensive side of the ball, everybody loved him. And I see a lot of similarities just in being able to relate to the players, like some of the guys that's on Mullen's staff and that are no longer there. And even a couple of guys that are still there just aren't super um, inviting, I guess, to a recruit or to get someone like these guys want to build a relationship. They almost want, you know, a coach to feel like a bigger, like an older brother to you that you want to go and play for that you have a good relationship with. And Cider was like the best with that. And it's funny because I see a lot of similarities in C Rob, Christian mm -hmm. Robinson with Cider. That's why I think, you know, for recruiting purposes, at least if Mullen's staying there, a guy like Robinson needs to have somewhat of a, I guess, a bigger platform just in the recruiting aspect that like people want to come and play for him. Like, you know, he's the type of guy that'll go, I play Warzone with C-Rob, like we'll play Xbox, you know, he's, he relates to his players, like he, even the guys that he's not in his position group and stuff, and guys want to play for a guy like him, so I think Mullen, really, like Blake said, needs to get some other people to add to his staff, because it's kind of being shown now that he can't do it all by himself, so I, that's what I would say is try to, you know, be less egotistical, put your pride to the side, and think like, if I'm really going to fix this, like, who is going to help me you know, with recruiting, because recruiting is everything now. I mean, it's great when you're developing players to, for, you know, years to come. But in the SEC, when you got Alabama and Georgia and some, I mean, even like Tennessee's looking, even though we beat them, Tennessee's starting to look a lot better. South Carolina's becoming more relevant, you know, with their new coaching staff. It's like you got to be able to have players that are playing right now and have those guys 
that you're developing be, you know, second and third teamers that eventually turn into that starter role junior, senior year. And that's been Mullen's huge approach is like, you know, you come in as a freshman, you're going to contribute maybe on some special teams. And, and if you travel, it's because of special teams. Your second year, you know, a couple of plays on defense while doing special teams or on offense, your third year. And it's like, I don't think he has the talent to be able to have that approach. So like you need to attack recruiting and you need to be able to have guys that can come in like, a, you know, CJ Henderson, my sophomore year, a guy that can come in and start, be a three-year starter NFL pick, you know, early NFL pick. Like you need to be able to go and get those guys. And in order to do that, you got to, like Blake said, get a like alpha male recruiter that's going to be able to recruit those guys and get them to buy into the system given what's going on with Florida right now, because not a lot of recruits are seeing all the uncertainty. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be that guy to go change that. Like, especially in today's generation, a lot of these kids like want to go into a place where like, oh, I'm going to be first string. Oh, we got a shot at winning the natty. Oh, I can win, you know, my whatever position award there is. Like no one wants to come into a situation where it's like, you know, we don't know if coach is going to be here, but believe in us. Like we, we, we want your best interest. Like, come on, how are you going to believe someone wants your best interest if they don't even know if they're going to be there, you know, six months from now. So I think an alpha male recruiter is inevitable, like for, for Dan Mullen to have any type of success in the next, you know, year or so. And yeah. So, I, I think you made an interesting point there as far as the development cycle for players that come into the Florida program under Dan Mullen. And one of the things I had talked to a, a couple of Mississippi state folks, uh, beat writers that had covered Dan Mullen at state, you know, when he was hired. And, and one of the things they pointed out was watch, watch recruiting. And, and they said specifically junior college prospects on the O-line. In other words, this was before the transfer portal, but Mississippi state pretty regularly would have veteran lines, but they, you know, if they ran into situations where they had a year where a couple veterans graduated, they were trying to, you know, plug and play with Juco guys. And that can work here and there, but I don't think it's a sustainable model. I think what we've seen to some degree is Florida's reliance on so many seniors and unwillingness to play freshman younger in some ways hurts their development a little bit, but also it, it's kind of like a patchwork approach where you're trying to grab guys from the portal and, and there's just a lot more high school prospects, a lot more options of, of really top-notch players that if you're at a place like Florida, you should be able to go out and get via recruiting like you shouldn't have to be trying to patch things you know with three defensive tackles from the portal and and to yeah. me that's a reflection of kind of the approach that's that's been there on recruiting um Blake I don't know I mean we've talked about this a little bit but how do you I mean how big is that in terms of part of the problem and how do you fix that Talking about the portal and like relying on the portal just the overall strategy because I think like we've obviously praised Dan Mullen quite a bit the portal right. when it works i mean it you know they've gotten sure. some John really Lee good bernard guys. was a pretty good player bernard is the perfect <laughs> example thing, van jefferson trey grimes i mean you've gotten some good players just one thing i just want to add just real yeah. quick just thinking of what, what you said is like i feel like nobody's really going to want to come from the portal like these later guys like a john bernard nowadays other than for nfl aspirations because you have a big platform given being you know in the sec and stuff like that I feel like if anything, with the approach and with the talent level that's there now, you know, these these redshirt senior, redshirt junior guys with a lot of experience will only go to Florida, given the situation right now, to take that next step to the, you know, NFL. That's just my thought. I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, but for me, I think using the portal, it's kind of a gray area because I do feel like the defensive line, it's an area where Florida just didn't recruit well enough to start out. You know, that was something that they had to play a lot of makeup on. But if you're relying on the portal, I feel like one thing that you can kind of play a risk with is, you know, let's say you're a, you know, a freshman, you know, you come in, 
you think you're probably going to be a red shirt type of guy, you know, to come in there, you know, you take your year and that that's a season of, you know, many months and weeks to where you're just practicing, practicing, practicing. Well, let's say you're a red shirt freshman or you're a sophomore, you got in some games and then you come in the next year and you get a guy out of a portal. So you're still waiting that much longer. So I feel like that is where you heard the developmental stages of things and why a lot of these, there's such could be such a drop off. And obviously Javon Dexter is a really good defensive lineman. That's a five-star type of player. You know, you're going to come in and he's going to play and he's going to make an impact. But past that, I mean, even looking Jason at Jason Marshall's line, done well. Jason Marshall is another guy who's done really well. But if you're relying on a lot of these portal type of guys that are going to come in, you're just hindering the development of even more of, of those high school types of guys. You know, the Avery Helms, the Ethan Pounceys, the other guys there, because you're going to the portal and you're getting a defensive back or you're going to the portal to get a defensive lineman. So I do feel like where there is a developmental process into Florida's program under Dan Mullen, I feel like you do hinder some of that development in real game type type of environments by, you know, it's, it's a guy that's maybe a red, like I said, a red shirt freshman, uh, you know, sophomore, whatever, whatever, who should be coming in and getting those valuable game snaps, but he has to wait even longer from a guy from the portal. So I feel like that just prolongs things even more. Yeah. I think that's a great point. You know, obviously Javon's having a big impact playing a big right. role, but you talk about some he of should. these other guys, everyone knew he was going to Jalen Humphreys, Jalen Lee, Lamar Goods, and granted, there's been, in some of those cases, in injury situations where they weren't sure. able to play. But I do think it, it kind of sends that inconsistent message, right? And I, and I think inconsistency is probably the key word for, for the Dan Mullen era so far, is there's an inconsistent level of effort given to recruiting in certain times of the year. You know, I mean, Florida taking a vacation a week before the dead period begins, that's not something other schools are doing, you know, uh, and, and not that Florida doesn't turn it on. I mean, we've, we've talked about some of the times that they've closed strong. Landon or Brosh, uh, Josh Braun, you know, stealing him from the last second at Georgia. Closing a little bit better in that stretch leading up to early signing day. But at this level of football, in college football, the SEC, you just cannot be inconsistent in that way. And I think that the patchwork portal approach in some ways also sends that message of inconsistency to your younger guys of, hey, we recruited you. But, oh, no, we've, we've got a hole. We don't think you're ready yet. So we're going to bring in some guys from the portal. All of a sudden, you're waiting another year. Like, to me, that's where, that's where seasons like this, you start to see them snowball because you have frustration of guys. And, and look, you're never going to completely avoid frustration in the locker room. You've got 100-something right. guys in there. You're going to have five to ten guys minimum every year that are frustrated with their lack of playing time. They're frustrated with their position coach. Whatever. That happens. But I do think when you have kind of that approach of it to me it almost comes off as like fixing things at the last second and i think that <laughs> has been reflected with the the decision not to part ways with todd grantham last year um in my opinion i you know when we and we kind of vocalized this at the time i thought the two assistants they got rid of defensively ron english probably in my opinion needed to go i thought touring gray was a really good coach who's been really good everywhere he's been he's a great recruiter guys like him I, to me it just felt like you know, such a late response, such a such a late passive approach to the entire organization of the program. So to me, it's not surprising that you see that kind of passive approach show up within games or that inconsistent approach of when you go for it on fourth down, when you don't. Um, I don't know. That was a little rambly. It just kind of clicked in my head at, at the time. But uh, let's talk about real quick before we close here. Where are you guys at right now? I mean, I've I've said my piece. I, I said two weeks ago. I thought it was past the point of no return. Where I've seen it happen too many times. Where the fan base goes toxic and it becomes almost us versus them, uh, as far as team versus the fans. You, you know, and and it's not everybody. Trust me. A lot of Florida players, and veterans, have been through this before and know to avoid that. But to me, I thought we were too far gone two weeks ago. I'm still in that camp. Um, where are you guys at? 
I'm still in the same camp. I think it's too far gone. You know, I think the noise in the systems there, I feel like apathy has been setting in, at least from the fan base for, you know, the last couple of weeks. Um, I just think I just don't see any any way this gets turned around. You know, I just don't think there's a, at least to me, there just doesn't seem like a scenario to where that works. And, you know, even if, uh, you know, if Dan does get another year, I feel like, you know, Scott Strickland has kind of hitched his wagon to Dan Mullen. If things don't go well, kind of like how Dan Mullen hitched his wagon to Todd Grantham last year, whenever the defense was struggling. So um, I feel like it's point past the point of no return. Um you know, I, I, you would probably have a better idea, Thomas, of, you know, maybe the talks going on behind the scenes with things, but I, I just don't see it, at least in my opinion, how this just turns around and just all of a sudden, you know, starts clicking. There's just not even very many scenarios. I think, uh, you know, just from kind of reading things, I think Brian Kelly a couple of years ago was like one of the only times where this has actually worked out and things turned around. So at this level, um, for sure, yeah, that, excuse yeah. me, at this level yeah. of, of ball, I just don't see where this just, you know, turns out to be positive. Right. What's your take? Cause you, you've been around Dan. I mean, if anybody could make a case for him, it would probably be you. Well, uh, well, first, I just I want to mention what you just said, I think was spot on too. Torian Gray was hands down the best DB coach we had during my five years. And all the you could ask every you could do a survey with every DB that played there. And they would all say Torian Gray was the best overall, you know, scheme, technical approach coach and best in relation to with players. But I think right now, like you guys are saying, I think, you know, this is the time too when you bring in those transfer portal guys, you know, those. And you, you hinder the development of guys like just off the top of my head, I think of like a guy like, you know, Josiah Pierre, who I was good friends with last year, like this time around, unfortunately, there's going to be a group, how it's been in the past is I'm not mm-hmm. right or wrong, but there's probably five to seven guys right now that are like, they've decided they're transferring. They know they didn't get their opportunity. And, you know, that happens with every team, but you got those guys that are going to go into the portal. And then it's like, you already don't have a ton of talent right now. So if you're losing some of those guys, you're supposed to really be developing, especially when the season kind of, you know, had turmoil and you know, you're not going to have a successful season, you know, having those transfer portal guys play because of the seniority, I don't really agree with. And I, I be honest, I'm with you guys. I think there's way too much separation and recruiting like between a Georgia and a Florida. And I, I want to be optimistic, but I really don't know what there is that Dan Mullen can do to right the ship immediately and I don't think he has the leash right now to have you know two more years to figure it out I think you know how Gator fans are and you know just how I mean we deserve to have a winning program and I know you know we had a good couple of years when Dan first got here but he seemed to have lost that culture that he brought and people aren't buying into the system as much and I just I don't really see there being a way to really right the ship so it'll be interesting to see and love to see what's you know Scott Strickland thinks of the situation because I know he's got you know huge ties with Dan you know he brought him in as this you know first hire really so it's like it'll be interesting to see what he's going to do because you know either they're going to continue to build that relationship and the fans are going to want to know more of what's actually going on or he's going to have to cut ties with him and do you know what the fans want and that's you know get a new type of coach that's going to be you know all in on recruiting that brings in a, a killer staff that's going to be able to get players that come to a situation that isn't you know the most appealing given when you got Georgia and all these other teams that are dominating. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't know exactly where the administration stands on that. My sense from talking to people close to it, obviously I'm not talking to Scott Strickland directly, is that they've wanted for really the last couple weeks to be patient and give Dan Mullen a chance to work things out, give him a chance to change, you know, some of the staff out, bring in, you know, guys that can help him on the recruiting front. Um, but I'll go back to even before the South Carolina game, the phrase that I heard used about, you know, where Scott Strickland was at was we, we just need some wins. And unfortunately, the way things have gone, the way the South Carolina game looked 
you know, Florida goes in as a 20 something point favorite loses by 17 Samford. I mean, if you have guys locked in, you're not in a 70 to 52 shootout against Samford. And then last night I thought much better from the approach, uh, the, the, the effort standpoint, but again, that, that's almost, that almost ends up being an indictment on where you're at in terms of the actual makeup of the roster. You know, if you're still having all those problems, you know, it, it's hard to say, okay, if they're playing pretty hard and still not getting it done against really a pretty mediocre Missouri team, you know, what are we doing here? But I, I said last week on the podcast on Sunday that I thought fans just needed to be patient and let it play out. Um, I talked about, I, I, I wasn't sure that this team would be able to rally and, that's where, like, you know, there's part of me is like the effort was much better yesterday, but overall they still weren't able to pull out a result. So I think it's probably just a matter of time. But you know, we're not we're not in Scott Strickland's brain. We don't know <laughs> the way he's thinking. So I think we're gonna have to you know see it play out. I think FSU, um, you know, assuming nothing happens this weekend, and at this point I'm not expecting anything to happen. Uh, it'll be interesting to see that dynamic of you got a Florida State team that feels like it's building some positive momentum. Uh, as far as narratives and direction of the program goes, I don't, I don't think there's any way you can argue that Florida's heading in a positive direction if you were to come out and not, not win that game next week. So I, in my opinion, it's probably yesterday probably made that decision for the administration. We'll find out. Um, but look, Florida's opening up. I'm looking at it now as a 10 point favorite over FSU. So Something's not connecting here because no Florida fan in their right mind, I think, is going to lay money on Florida to cover that line. I, I know a lot of people that I talked to last week were, you know, betting betting pretty significantly on Missouri money line. So something is disconnected here. I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, I don't know if the administration is quite on the, the same page as the fans, but we'll find out, guys. I appreciate all your thoughts, Brett. It was great getting your your thoughts as somebody that's been in you know that locker room with dan with some of uh, you know previous coaches in similar situations and blake i appreciate all the feedback on recruiting that'll do it for today's episode of the swamp 24 7 podcast guys appreciate you tuning in Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.